This week on the Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy, we discuss the surprising revelations by the US Air Force about life on... What the hell was that? Hold on, where did the room... Where did him go? What... What happened to my nipples? Josh? Josh? Josh, are you... Are you there? Over here. Oh, there you are. Hold on. What's happened to your nipples? Well, I was introducing the podcast. Podcast? You know, the, the podcast we do together. We do? The Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy. Hmm, a podcast based upon my research does sound like a good idea. Tell me more. Yeah, so you, you don't know that we make a podcast together? It's a complete surprise to me. I thought we were going to do our weekly gaming session of bi-weekly. Got to level up and get that level 100 special costume. Then there was this snapping sound and the room disappeared. And something has definitely happened to your nipples. Mm. think we've somehow got out of sync. Em, well, that is my Em, uh, told me that this happened to them a little while ago. They met a version of me from another dimension where Andy Bashago is president of the US. You mean he's not? Not where I come from. Em told me the only way they were able to get everything back to normal was to try and sync things up by going through the basics. So you're saying we should record a podcast? Yes. Well, you know me, I'm game for anything. Are, um, you're giving me a side-eye. Let's just say I'm not not giving you a little side-eye, you tasty little scamp. Let's roll some theme music as we get comfortable doing a bit of the old recording of the podcast. I, I don't think that means what you think it means. The Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy, starring Dr. M.R.X. Dentith and featuring Josh Addison as The Interlocutor. Hello and welcome to an episode of the Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy. I am Josh Addison, sitting next to me as ever is Dr. M. Dentith. Um, and we are once again going back to basics. We are. We're back to life. We're back to back reality. Back to reality. I think you said the last time as well. Is that what I said last time? I think so. I don't know. Probably. It, it applies. Why not? Um, so, if speaking of last time, you may recall that last time we spoke about the three conditions uh, for something to be a conspiracy. Those conditions are? The goal condition, the plotter's condition, and the secrecy condition. Hmm. So a conspiracy involves multiple plotters working in secret to achieve a common goal. Um, so that's sort of the... Uh, that's, that, that's the nuts and bolts. That's the formal definition, I suppose. But there's a lot more to it, um, to exactly how we talk about conspiracy theories. Yes, because having defined a conspiracy... You might note that conspiracy theory has that pesky extra word mm. at the end. Theory. Joshua, what is a theory? Well, it kind of depends who you talk to, which is... I'm is, talking to you. Okay. So what do you think a theory is? Well, I think a theory is uh, a proposed explanation for an observed phenomena. Do, 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 do. Yes. Uh, which is a different, which is sort of more the, the academic scientific uh, definition of a theory, which is kind of in contrast to the more colloquial definition of a theory, which is a theory is kind of something that you reckon but don't know for sure. And sometimes just turns out to be your opinion, man. Mm. Which is, is, is in some cases why people get a little bit tangled up when talking about conspiracy theories. It leads them to say things like, well, there are conspiracy theories, but aren't there also conspiracy, conspiracy facts? facts? To which the answer is yes, but not the way you mean. Yeah. Um, so what are we talking about today? So we're going to talk about 
What makes a conspiracy theory a conspiracy theory? Because that was actually a major part of my first book. Basically, every single article I've written subsequently, it factors into the second book and is a major part of the third book as well. Because it turns out that your choice of definition as to what counts as a conspiracy theory ends up doing an awful lot of work when it comes to working out what gets ruled in and what gets ruled out as being in the domain of the conspiracy theory. So in my PhD thesis, I put forward a definition that basically goes, a conspiracy theory is any explanation of an event that cites a conspiracy as a salient cause. So a conspiracy theory is a theory about a conspiracy. It's an explanatory hypothesis or theory involving a conspiracy. And it says that the conspiracy is the salient cause of the event you're trying to explain. So you put forward a conspiracy theory when a conspiracy is the cause of the event that needs explanation. Mm. Now, I think last time when we talked about the definition of conspiracy, we did talk a little bit about what a conspiracy is not necessarily when we said uh, to count as a conspiracy. Under the definition we're using, at least, it is not necessary that the conspiracy be a malevolent conspiracy. It can be a conspiracy of goodness. Uh, It's not necessary that the conspiracy works or at least achieves the the, the goal that it is aiming towards. Um, it is not the case that a conspiracy is inherently uh, nonsense, basically, is fanciful or scientifically implausible or what have you. No, it is something which happens quite commonly. So we discuss surprise parties Mm. as an example of conspiracies which are normally good, unless you don't like surprises, are very feasible, and actually, apart from my case, quite common because no one's ever organised a surprise party for me. No, me neither. I think I've been party to a single surprise birthday party in well, that my was life. That was Ewan's? Uh, oh, I don't remember one for Ewan. Remember Chris. Amanda organised one? We went to a house out in, somewhere in the North Shore, and we had to hide in a room, and Ewan walked in, and we, sh- we shouted surprise. No, I don't know if I was there. I'm pretty sure you were. I'm pretty sure you, you were the one who drove Richard and me there. Probably. I did have a car at the time. Doesn't matter. Point is... Um, and you claim you don't drink. Well, I was driving. I was very driving at the time. <laughs> it's true, you were. You were very driven. Um, the point, I think, was that... Now, see, now I want to know, what is the surprise par- party you did go to? Ah, uh, Chris. Oh. Where we all ambushed him wearing furry masks. Or at least animal masks. Anyway... The point Story for another make. time. The point, the point I think that we were both heading towards is that um, while, so in the same way that um, conspiracy conspiracies don't have to carry a whole lot of baggage along with them, uh, conspiracy theories themselves um, don't, according to our definition, carry a lot of baggage that people do like to lump on them. So people often will have the idea that conspiracy theories are inherently irrational, inherently false, inherently unlikely, inherently alternative. Um, the, the, oh, the idea yes, that a conspiracy the whole, theory... The whole official story. Official story versus, yeah, a yeah. conspiracy theory is an alternative to whatever the official version is, which the, has the implication that whatever the official version is is not a conspiracy theory. Uh, we don't stick to any of those, do we? No, so 
The definition I've proposed, a conspiracy theory is a explanation of an event that cites a conspiracy as a salient cause, is a perfectly open and non-pejorative, very broad definition. It's open that it admits any theory about a conspiracy, whether it be a surprise party or a cover-up, falls under the notion of being a conspiracy theory. It's non-pejorative in that it doesn't build in that conspiracy theories are mad, bad, or dangerous. And I can't remember what the third thing was. Because I think um, I basically covered the Irrational by... alternative. Alternative well, to the official that's version. That's what you said. I, I, I had a third condition, which basically just gets folded in under the the openness thing. Right. It basically applies to any theory about conspiracy and doesn't build in that conspiracy theories are bad. Now, this is at odds with quite a lot of the literature, although I do like to think that the literature is slowly changing because of the work in philosophy and people realising that working with pejorative definitions is kind of skewing the debate. But the two major claims you get are either that conspiracy theories are by definition false, or at least they're prima facie unlikely. Now, the notion that conspiracy theories are prima facie false has been put forward by a variety of different writers. Daniel Pipes famously being one example. He basically says that conspiracy theories are fantasies, uh, born of some kind of paranoid style, and thus are never true. This is obviously nonsense, and we can say it's obviously nonsense because if you can show there has been one pejoratively labelled conspiracy theory in history, which then turned out to be the actual explanation of the event, then if you insist that they are inherently false, you have a metaphysical problem. Yes, because there's quite a few things uh, yeah. we can point to about that. So you can't say that by definition conspiracy theories are inherently false if you can show that at least one conspiracy theory turned out to be true. But again, I have the the, the anecdotal evidence, and I'm sure I've mentioned this on this podcast before, of of it being sort of a, that, that colloquial idea of a conspiracy theory that they're being false. Because I remember one time years ago in the middle of the VW emissions scandal, I was heading off to M's place to record the latest episode and my wife had a friend over and my wife said, oh, Josh is off to go record his podcast. And her friend said, oh, what do you do? And I said, oh, we do this thing. We talk about conspiracy theories and so on. And she said, oh, what are you talking about this week? And I said, oh, we're going to be talking about the VW emissions scandal. And her immediate reaction was, but isn't that true? Um, and I and so on. I had to say kind of what we're saying now. Well, no, we don't think that cons you know, conspiracy theory is just a theory about a conspiracy, definitely a conspiratorial angle. So the fact that it's known and true um, isn't does isn't part of what makes something a conspiracy theory or not. Um, but yeah, I I can see that there would be um, a lot of people who would have have problems. If not on a on an intellectual level, on a sort of uh, um, instinctual emotional level, with with such a broad definition of conspiracy theory, because we uh, th there is in the in 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 general, I guess, this notion that conspiracy theories are a little bit iffy, a little bit shady, a little bit weird. And if we start talking about perfectly ordinary things like a birthday party as being a conspiracy theory, I can understand people wanting to object to that. So why is it good then? 
why not go with the flow in this case? Why is it good to have this definition that possibly bucks the trend a little? Well, once again, as long as you can show that one conspiracy theory that was considered to be false turned out to be true, and there are lots of those, Watergate, Moscow trials, and the like, it's metaphysically dubious to insist on they must be false. You can then go down the other route, which is to go, well, you know, Conspiracy theory which is proven is no longer a conspiracy theory. It's an official theory or story. And that means that, you know, we can say conspiracy theories are false because when they're shown to be true, they magically convert. Bit of a bit of a no true Scotsman thing going on there. Yeah, it's a, a representation fallacy, but that's also metaphysically dubious because there are lots of examples of things that were pejoratively labelled as conspiracy theories at the time, say like the Moscow show trials, where the people who said, no, it's actually true, and were tarred as being conspiracy theorists putting forward a conspiracy theory, were right at the time. It's not that evidence came out later that made people reappraise the situation. It was in the case of the Moscow trials the Soviets lying about the evidence to cover up the crime they had committed. Mm. So you then have to go, so at what point did it make its conversion between conspiracy theory and official theory? Because it's quite clearly an official theory after 1969, but it was also true back when it was posited in the first place. So uh, care to explain how that Mm. transition actually works? It's just a... It's a nonsense position to start with. Now, admittedly, whilst it is a position you find in the academic literature, it's likely not a common position. Most people's position turns out to be the notion that there's just something inherently suspicious about conspiracy theories. Yes, they can be true, but on average, they're likely false. Well, what do you say to that then? Does 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 the more general view of it show that actually, given that there are many more things that count that fit the definition of a conspiracy than we might initially think, the idea that their rear is also doesn't stand up scrutiny? Well, yes, there, there is a base rate fallacy going on here, which is you kind of need to know how many conspiracy theories there are and then go, well, how many of them are false versus true, warranted or unwarranted, before you make that claim. And the broader your definition of conspiracy, the more likely you are to find that actually there's a larger chunk of conspiracy theories that turned out to be warranted than you previously thought. Now, I do think that's kind of a fool's errand to do this, because when you're playing with numbers here and you don't know what the base rate is, it basically can go... Either way, and it does depend an awful lot on how you define what counts as a conspiracy. I'd rather go down the route of going, why is this a problem for conspiracy theories as opposed to scientific theories or psychological theories or historical theories? Because there are more scientific theories out there than there are warranted scientific theories. Scientists come up with new theories every day, which they then go into the lab, their special lab, and and they they test in their lab coats with their stethoscopes because they're a cliched Mm -hmm. scientist, and only a few, in fact, only a tiny few, ever survive scrutiny. But we don't go around going, well, 
There are so many scientific theories out there, and most of them are false. Ipso facto, scientific theories are just really unlikely to be true. Mm, we should be suspicious. Yeah. Suspicious of those scientists. And yet when it comes to conspiracy theories, that's our reasoning, even though in other theoretical domains of explanation, we don't make that same move. Why do you think that is? Is it because high-profile conspiracy theories all tend to be particularly loopy ones that are sort of obviously silly and false? Um, or is there... We, I think we did talk briefly about the, 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 the whole secrecy condition. Uh, given that, the, that, that secrecy is baked into the very definition of a conspiracy, we do tend to be naturally suspicious of secrecy. So is, is there... Is there something to the suspicion angle? So I think, yes, I think the secrecy stuff does play a particular role. It's harder to show a conspiracy theory is warranted because of the secrecy condition, although it's not impossible. And indeed, you might say it's really hard to prove some scientific theories because nature likes to keep secrets and is actually probably better at it than human beings are. Mm -hmm. uh, the amount of work required to uncover what is happening at the base of nature is getting progressively harder. Once again, I think that's kind of the wrong angle to take here. Now, I actually think the real reason, and this is me doing my bit of folk psychology here, as to why we treat conspiracy theory suspiciously, is that we've grown up being told that conspiracy theories are bunk and bad. And we've also grown up, particularly in the West, in policies where we are expected to trust political authority and most of the conspiracy theories we're concerned about are conspiracy theories that say don't trust those authorities. And yet we keep on being told by those authorities, don't believe conspiracy theories about us. Mm, quite possibly. Um, is, this is, I think, something that's come up a little bit. Is, is, the, is the divide... Um, between disciplines, like in, I know you've talked about sort of the sociological, sort of psychological conception of conspiracy theories versus the philosophical one. Is that where there's a bit of a divide in the, in the suspicious versus not suspicious or plausible versus not plausible sort of thing? So, and this, this, is, this is a very crude account, accounting. Most philosophers take it that a conspiracy theory is just an explanation of an event that cites a conspiracy as a salient cause. That seems to be increasingly the case in work in sociology being done today, although it wasn't the case when sociology was being done on this about 20 years ago. Social psychology, they're more likely to go, there's something suspicious about conspiracy theories, although social psychologists seem to be much more interested in what they take to be the negative social consequences of belief in conspiracy theories, which is a lack of trust in authority, being more willing to engage in conspiratorial activity yourself and the like. Historians tend to be much more, what's the evidence for this particular claim? So historians will go, in the history of conspiracy, this particular period of time, lots of conspiracies, this period of time, not so many. Uh, political science seems to be largely on the line of conspiracy theories are for losers, which is the claim that their views expressed by people on the losing side of a political debate, and it's kind of a release valve of democracy. So yeah, there is some disciplinarian sectioning of these views, although 
it gets fuzzy around the edges. Well, it always does. Um, now, you mentioned a second ago, uh, talking about historians, the the the, the looking at this particular conspiracy theory. Ah, yes, particular you, conspiracy yes, theory. You, you've picked up on my special mm. word, particular. Particular. So, a yeah, term that, of art, that one. That's yeah, the, the division between sort of a generalist and a particularist view of conspiracy yeah, so theories. Generalists are people who go, we can talk about the class of conspiracy theories generally and use that to render a verdict on particular conspiracy theories. So they take a generalist view. Conspiracy theories are, and almost every generalist is someone who thinks that conspiracy theories are in some way suspicious. I've yet to meet a generalist who believes that believing conspiracy theories is always fine. I'm sure they do exist, although that also would be a bit weird to then mm. go, David Icke, he's right too. Yes. Alex Jones, he's right too. No, most generalists go, no, there's something suspicious about conspiracy theories. And that justifies my prima facie reaction to this particular conspiracy theory. The kind of definition I advocate, and the one that we use in this podcast, is a particularist one. And that you're going, well, actually, the only way to tell whether a given conspiracy theory is good or bad is to weigh it on the evidence. Mm. So conspiracy theories are warranted or unwarranted on the evidence for those particular, on their own And so particulars reject the generalist consensus by going, yeah, you can't render a claim about a particular conspiracy theory because of its membership of the class. You should actually be looking at the evidence and going, I mean, even if this conspiracy theory resembles one I've already met, which was false, in this particular instance, mightn't it be true? Mm. We should at least entertain the evidence before condemning it. Mm. Um, I just completely forgot what I was going to say next. I had a point and it disappeared. It just went off with a speedboat. It did. At least the helicopter's gone. We had a helicopter circling a while ago, messing with our sound levels. It was indeed. That ha- that ha- but like, we shot it out of the air with our mind rays. Mm. Yes, oh, that's where I was going with it. Um, long-time listeners of the podcast may find it a little bit odd, I think, sometimes to compare the theory behind this podcast with the reality of a lot of the speaking of it, because although... I mean, th- this this is a theory that is basically sympathetic to podcast uh, to to, podcast, <laughs> to are, podcasters, we, we, guys, to conspiracies. We are we are very sympathetic towards sympathetic podcasts. to conspiracies. It, it isn't a view that says conspiracy theories are inherently nonsense and you should disregard all of them. And yet, most of the time, I think we 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 are more more of in, in party pooping mode when it comes to discussing individual. Conspiracy Although we theories. do we do go through periods of then. We do. Self-correcting and doing mm. our series on false flags and things like that. Yeah, yeah. We do like to point out that conspiracies do occur and mm. there are warranted instances of conspiracy theories. The problem is the really entertaining conspiracy theories often turn out Tends to be, to be the, the ones, ones that we don't find to be plausible. Although we had great fun talking about when Richard Nixon was right. Mm, yep, that's true. That's true. Yeah, I think, and, and again, I think coming back to what I said a little bit before about the fact that the, the big names in conspiracy theories, the ones that people think of when they think conspiracy theory, tend to be the loopier ones. Yeah. Um, 
the ones the the ones that get the attention. Uh, so certainly we will probably never do a episode of this podcast on the time somebody threw a birthday party for one of their friends because frankly that's just not that interesting. Unless we unless in the this party. podcast turns into a surprise party for me. Oh, you never know it might. Yeah, it might. So what are all the people doing hiding behind the sofa then? The same thing they're always doing hiding behind the sofa. Cataloging your daily life in excruciating detail. I wish I hadn't gone to the bathroom three times today. (laughs) Was it three times? (laughs) Don't give me that. Um, Yeah, so... I think I think I think we've we've said all we wanted to say. Is there we a particular indeed. conclusion you'd like to wrap things up with? Buy my book. Buy my book. You can't afford to buy my book. I can't afford to buy my book. Mm. Yes, yeah, so there you go. That book is the podcast. No, it's not. It's, it's not. the philosophy of conspiracy theories, or it's taking conspiracy theory seriously, or depending on when you listen to this, it might even be understanding conspiracy theories. Mm. The third book. You're going to run out of gerunds before too long. What else will you be doing to conspiracy I have a feeling after I finish writing Understanding Conspiracy Theories, I'm going to take a break from writing books about conspiracy theories and write something else instead. Write a erotic fiction? Well, no, see, so there's a, the New Zealand Association of Philosophy Conference is coming up in November of 2019. This is obviously being recorded before November 2019, although we don't know when this is going out. And I've been working on a suite of papers on fake news. And just the other day, I was going, yeah, this uh, paper, What's Fake About Fake News, it's it's a really boring name. And then I just suddenly realised, you know what I should call it? I should call it What the Fake. You could call it that. So I'm writing a paper called What the Fake. Good. I approve. Yeah. Hmm. So is that going to be your thing now? Fake news, not books about conspiracy theories. Fake news, secrecy, disinformation, erotic fiction about your mother. Hmm. So just the usual then. Yeah. Hmm. Righto. I mean, I know you. <laughs> I know you love reading it. So, um, I think that is all we had to say until the next one of these mysterious filler back to basics episodes. Indeed. When we'll talk about. What do we talk about? In well, actually, no. Uh, next time we'll probably talk talk about the role of evidence. Evidence, in conspiracy yes. Theories. Yes. I remember that episode well. At least I remember that. It was a long time ago. It yep. was. Uh, but now is not then. Now is now, and now is the time to end this episode of the podcaster's guide to the conspiracy. So I think uh, all that remains is to say goodbye, and um, listen to the. But no, there won't be bonus content to go with this one, will there? Well, it probably there will. We'll it just won't it be. Out. We can't predict what's going to be. Mm. Well, actually, let's try and predict try what's predict. going to be in the bonus content. So I'm thinking we're going to have a news story about how a hippopotamus decided the fate of a small Middle Eastern country. I think there'll be something to do with Donald bloody Trump. And I think we're going to discover why it is that Steven Spielberg is running for US president. Mm. The real reason, not the reason his publicist put forward. No. That's it's, all lies. It's secretly because Tom DeLonge is his choice of vice president, isn't it? To the stars. Mm, and Academy. Beyond. Right. Well, there we go. So I think I think we'd better stop while we're 
more or less ahead. Um, so until the next time you hear from us, whenever that might be, goodbye. And toodly. You've been listening to a podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy, hosted by Josh Edison and M. Dentith. If you'd like to help support us, please find details of our pledge drive at either Patreon or Podbean. If you'd like to get in contact with us, email us at podcastconspiracy at gmail.com.